Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? I'm your host Dana, or the DHK as I'm known, and I'm joined once again by Jackie and Matt, and we watched a whole lot of stuff this week. We watched On the Rocks, Rebecca, The Witches, and Borat's subsequent movie film. And full spoiler alert for all of them, if you have not seen any of them and are interested in seeing them before you hear this discussion, I suggest that you stop right now and watch those first because we go into plot details for Borat. We talk about a lot of the jokes and I think Borat works better if you see it without any of the stuff being spoiled for you. It's just an enjoyable experience not having any input ahead of time. We're also gonna try something a little bit new this episode. There are a couple things that came up during our discussion that we didn't know on the spot and didn't quite have time to dig into. And so if you stay tuned after the full discussion, I'll clarify some of those moments. So without further ado, here's We're Watching What? Let's kick off with, and it's not confirmed yet because I feel, and we talked about this last time, until I see Disney say the words, I or Marvel say the words, I am no longer trusting casting announcements, but, Word on the street is that Oscar Isaac is going to play Moon Knight. Do we have thoughts on that? Do we think there's anyone better out there to play Moon Knight? I don't have a huge opinion on it. I haven't read too much Moon Knight, so I don't have a solid ground on it. I do enjoy Oscar Isaacs as a human. Yeah, I, I love Oscar Isaacs. I think he's great. I think, you know, I, I was happy that it wasn't in the comics historically, he is a, I think he's of Jewish descent, but he is a white man in America type of character. And, you know, Oscar Isaac, obviously Guatemalan, I believe, just said that's an interesting um, way to move kind of in a place that we're kind of diversifying this a little bit more. And I enjoy that. From what I remember directly of the comics I've read, similar to kind of the Iron Fist debacles, it's something where, you know, this character does get his powers from the Egyptian uh, moon god. And I think it could be, an, it could have been a really, or it could still be an interesting opportunity to cast uh, somebody uh, Middle Eastern, Egyptian of African descent in that role to kind of say, because he channels this moon god and the moon god, the part of the deal is the moon god gets to live kind of through him as his avatar or his like external body, if you will. So it's almost like this Egyptian entity channeling through a white man in the comics. And so it, it could be interesting to say, hey, let's let's do that with an Egyptian man or woman or anybody, you know? Uh, so I think that could have been cool, but I will say, I think it's great to not have a, another white man as a character. I do think it's funny considering Oscar Isaac's last outing as a sort of ethnic or nebulously ethnic character from Marvel that they would allow him to do this again. Oh, right, with Apocalypse. And I don't, I'm not blaming him for Apocalypse. That was not his fault. I don't think that was anybody in its fault, but. He did what he could. He did what he could, but I was, I was surprised that that was even on the table. Also, after sort of his seeming discontent with the corporate machine that is Disney, that he would be willing to, which is again, why I'm like, I don't know if this is final yet. Exactly. Because isn't it, isn't it him who made comments about saying he's not interested ever in returning as Poe in any form? I believe so. Yes. Right. Which is the bummer, but which maybe he just feels that character, you know, and I, I kind of, um, if he, if yeah, that character is done. That character that is character actually got more than he was supposed to get anyway. So he can, he might feel the character's already a little bit overdone. We don't need more of this, and so it's not doing a service to the world to be more. But I kind of thought maybe it was the powers that be were annoying him. You know, the other thing that was news this week that we forgot about is that they cast a Bride of Frankenstein. Oh my goodness! Yes, uh, and we were. So topical based on it. Like, yeah. Even that long ago, it's like they were listening to us and making decisions. Of all of the people, too. <laughs> right. Like, just so random. It's like, I, I think they listen to us, honestly. 
are we happier? I, I assume we're happier about that than we are. And, and for context, the news is that Scarlett Johansson, or Black Widow, is going to be Bride of Frankenstein. And we did say, how are you going to do Bride of Frankenstein without Frankenstein? So now we're going to find out, apparently. Producing on it as well. I think she's actually very involved in this project. I am not unhappy about it, but I'm curious just in that, I think I yeah, we were saying last week that how are you going to do Bride without doing Frankenstein first? I think the answer is from what the very little that I've read about this is that they are having it be something that centers around her. She's going to be in it for a lot of the movie. Cause as you probably know, Bride of Frankenstein, I think she's in it for less than 10 minutes. Like, <laughs> you know, the actual character, it's not even really about her so much as the creation of her and the, the ethics behind that. But with this, it's something where I believe it's going to be very feminist and very created by men to kind of for men. And she's emancipating herself, kind of honestly, not so different from the Sally story in Nightmare Before Christmas, if you if you really want to go. You know, I've always enjoyed that little subplot, her kind of emancipating herself, even if it was just to be with, an, be with a guy. But it could be really interesting, but it also could be really just eye roll in a lot of ways. So I hope that it, they keep the integrity of that. I mean, in the original, she's not interested in being as bright. <laughs> No, and I, and I love that about her. It's something that I hope that they, that they find a way to, in similar ways that I feel like they, they, they introduced Invisible Man, as we talked about last week, into a new genre in ways, but they still kind of felt to me like they paid homage to the original in ways. I hope that this does the same. Yeah, I didn't realize until just now when I looked it up that Sebastian Lelio is going to be the director. And I would say that he has handled female characters very well. Or a man. Um, and in general, he's handled them well. He directed A Fantastic Woman, which I believe is about a trans person. And then he directed Gloria Bell twice. He did once in Spanish and once in English with Julianne Moore. And that's also very much about a female character and, and her sort of um, independence and living a new life as a, a divorced person but so it's interesting it's an interesting combo we're gonna see you know judging by those two films you even just mentioned or there's three films he is interested in exploring a woman's story more than just you know like she's this protagonist but it's about those are character films so that I that yeah. makes me happy in that respect that it would be really interesting to kind of give this she's become an iconic movie monster image but she's barely a character so and she she dies shortly after being reborn so it's something that giving more of a voice to that character is long overdue and could be something really cool if you do it right so i remain cautiously optimistic let's say yeah that. agreed back to briefly back to moon knight i do I, my one takeaway from it i love oscar isaac i think he's fantastic my first reaction was he's kind of short for moon knight <laughs> he is kind of that and, and you know, we, we've had plenty of people, you know, Hugh Jackman is six foot plus whatever, and Wolverine's supposed to be five feet tall. That, that's not, but in my mind, Moon Knight has always been this giant, imposing, sort of ominous character. And so I did see two other sort of rumors flying around. One was Nick Kroll, and I was like, oh, that's more of a Deadpool personality approach, I feel like, if you're going to cast Nick Kroll as that. And the other was David Diggs. And I went, oh, that, I would have loved that. Like, um, I truly would have loved to beat Diggs as... I would, I would love that as well. And I think, you know, to the height thing or the size thing, you know, you look at someone like Robert Downey Jr., obviously he's in a suit, but yep. in films, Tony Stark reads a lot taller than he is mm-hmm. in, in Robert Downey Jr. So... Yeah. But to say, they can do a lot with movie magic. Absolutely, I mean, of course. Tom Cruise is very short, and you don't ever we've really... Already, we've already seen, as you mentioned, we've already seen Oscar as uh, Apocalypse, who is uh, quite a bit larger than <laughs> <you>. so, <laughs> Yes, that is true. He worked well, you know? 
Yeah, it was, it was, you know, it's definitely not an inhibitor, but for some reason, that was the first thing that came to mind when I read this. I was like, it's very petite for Moon Knight, but okay, whatever, you know. I mean, I thought when Tatiana Masoli was going to be, um, or how, I'm sorry if I butchered that. Uh, She-Hulk. She-Hulk, because I was like, oh, she's a little not bold. She's very, yeah, she's not necessarily physically imposing. At least that one, I was like, oh, she gets bigger. Yeah, I could feel it. I mean, I'm so into it because I think she's such an amazing actress that I'm looking forward to it. Just yeah, we'll see if it's we'll even see if it's confirmed. Who knows? They could just pull the rug out from us completely. Honestly, to that point too, like obviously she doesn't in a character in a comic. It's not like she's bulky either. But uh, Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. I mean, Scarlett's lower end of five foot somewhere in there, and I feel she does read a bit taller in the films as well. And I and she's very believable as someone who's kicking kicking the ass. So yeah, they can do it. But yeah, that's that's interesting. I actually don't even know how tall Oscar Isaac is. So I, He's 5'9". That's not short, per se, yeah. but Moon Knight's 6'2". So. It's not short, but it's not like tall for a guy. You know? Yeah. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. On the note of Scarlett Johansson, that is being produced for Apple TV Plus by A24 and other films that we happen to have watched this week by A24 for Apple TV Plus are On the Rocks which is the Sofia Coppola reunion with Bill Murray and Rashida Jones. And what did, what did you all think of this? I think it wasn't for me, if I'm going to be honest. I feel like as someone who's not married, uh, I don't have kids. I feel like it might have struck a chord if I was in any of those life situations. But mostly I found it kind of long and boring. I think it was well done. I just think that it was very obvious he wasn't actually cheating on her and that this was just about her being able to talk to him. And I think any plot where it falls apart, if you can have one conversation, is barely boring. Mm. I didn't dislike it actually at any level, but it didn't really do much of anything for me. I wasn't- Yeah, I didn't dislike it. I'm not saying I hated it or anything. I watched it. I wasn't really bored in the film either. Like I was able to just to get through it quite easily, but I kept waiting for some emotional moment to really land. I do think that the script uh, was a little, I mean, Sophia does have a distinct way that she writes. And I do think that it was a little flat in that, there were several scenes, uh, particularly the first scene with Rashida Jones and Bill Murray, that I really felt like, wow, I can really just see the script as they're reading this. Like, mm-hmm. it just, or as they're reading it, gosh, as they're <laughs> saying these words, where it didn't feel super genuine. And Bill Murray is always a pleasure and he's on and everything, and he did that well. But I found, I really do like Rashida Jones, but I found her character really just flat and I was and just uninteresting. And it was interesting to me that husband seemed to not really be able to suspect much that anything was wrong with her but I was so then I was I was there thinking I was like so is this just how she always is where she just (laughs) just seemed disinterested in everything and didn't really seem to have much of an arc of coming around and being interested again I was actually very glad he wasn't cheating because I was worried that this was just going to be a you know okay and then they're finally cheating and it's like oh and Bill Murray they're both right you know I was glad that it's like okay these are two characters who because of Bill Murray's past and his indiscretions are obviously pre-designed to be assuming that this is happening. And so I wanted to almost explore that and the emotion there more than we got to. I didn't feel like there was any emotional payoff at all. I was like, oh great, he's not cheating, but didn't think he was. And then it just moved on and Bill Murray didn't seem to feel, his character didn't seem to feel overly guilty or bad about kind of ruining quote unquote his child in this in this way. But she's managed to not have these issues all this time enough to get fall in love, get married and have two kids and kind of be normal until all of a sudden that she's suspecting cheating and now he's back in her life and in a bigger way. And it just felt kind of like put together in a way that didn't really feel viable to me. You know, mm-hmm. 
Well, I think the emotional payoff was supposed to be the argument with her and her dad. It just yeah. didn't yeah. Pleasantly surprised to see Jessica Henwick in it, though, I will say. Mm. I, I really love Jessica Henwick. I think she's, I just, I, I will, I'm also that shameless fan of, I love all the Marvel Netflixes and I liked Iron Fist well enough, but season two, I actually really enjoyed it and I was really upset with the way it ended because I want more from her. I was, I'm always happy when I see her. So there was did that. She, it, did she play the sort of red herring? Fifi, I think, or Fiona or Fifi. Oh, Fiona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And with Jackie in that, I think the last, the payoff was supposed to be that fight with the dad. And I, I felt like it was Sofia Coppola working through some of potentially her own daddy issues, but then they were like, let's slap a person of color on it. So it's not just a, you know, cause I feel like Scarlett Johansson, as far as like casting goes, a closer representation of what Sofia Coppola's life in, in Lost in Translation was that, you know, if you were to be like, let me play the dream casting of me, she probably picked Scarlett Johansson. She did pick Scarlett Johansson, but yeah. now I feel like she was told to sort of update it and make it a little more modern. And so they cast Rashida Jones to do so, right? They were like, person of color, this'll solve. It doesn't. Because I think it's still a very, quite frankly, privileged white script. It is. And, you know, and I, it's interesting you say that because she did come under a little bit of heat, I believe, from The Beguiled, which I believe was her last feature, right? So and I know she had cut af- out, uh, I think, one of the, the main uh, Black character in the original and recast her. And she made some comment about, you look at her films and how it's predominantly focusing around white women. And, and she had said, well, that's what I know how to write because that's mm-hmm. who I am. Like, kind of just very, and people were like, uh, okay, like <laughs> justifiably so. They, you know, you should be held to task in, in ways like that. It's not to say you can't make films about white women. Like, you absolutely, there's a place for all of it. But just to kind of, then be replacing roles and making them white and whitewashing in a way is not great. So I just did, I agree with that where the script felt very one way and then it was, but let's put some color in here and it almost just didn't feel authentic. It's weird. Yeah. But I'm, I'm hit or miss with Sophia. I know we, we've hit on this before a little, I just, just friends, we've had this kind of discussion, but I actually don't love Lost in Translation as much as everybody else seems to. I have not seen it in years, so I've thought about rewatching it, but it didn't really do much for me. I've always loved The Virgin Suicides. I really, really, really enjoyed Marie Antoinette, which I know is unpopular, and I'm the one person in America who actually liked The Bling Ring. So, <laughs> I so strangely, not- I feel like that is one of the ones where I wouldn't have expected that to come from her, and I do think it is in her wheelhouse, but it was something a little bit different as opposed to everything else, which feels very much, you can tell it's a her movie. Um, I'm not a fan of hers, generally speaking, but I did think Lost in Translation was good. I don't have a problem with, no, I think I actually might have a problem with her only because for the longest time it was, she was the only female director getting any, or writer getting any sort of recognition. And part of it was like, I feel like the nepotism factor was a good portion of it. And the fact that no other women could sort of break through and they were always being compared to her, it didn't sit well with me. Yeah, agreed. And I think, I mean, she does tell white women's stories. You know what I mean? Like, let's be honest, she has been telling mostly that. So, but I like Bling Ring. I like Virgin Suicides. I like all the ones you like. Somewhere as well, and then... Um... Like somewhere, yeah. So... Well, I felt weirdly deceived by the trailer, because I was actually like, oh, I'm interested in this. This seems a little <laughs> bit different from her. It seems like it could be funny. Bill, I'm always along for a ride for, with Bill Murray. And then I watched the movie, I was like, nope. It looked more comical than it was, and Bill yeah. Murray doing some little comedy here and there, but the rest of it was so flat that I didn't even really laugh at anything he nope. said. Nope, didn't land. Like, I feel like maybe, because I, I usually find Rashida very funny, mm-hmm. but I feel like... It's like Matt was saying, she was one note, and I don't know if that's her or direction or the writing or what, but it just lacked a depth 
emotion. Yeah. It might be an unpopular opinion. I love Rashida Jones, but I do think she has a very limited range in terms of acting. I wouldn't be, I mean, after watching this, I'm not sure. Yeah, like when she tries to cry, yeah. it's supposed to be like a meaty, yes. falling scene, and she's just not a good crier on screen. It just didn't, none of it landed. And at that moment, and after the fight that you guys mentioned being the one that was most out of the emotional weight, I did say to myself, Oh, please tell me something else happened <laughs> because it, I, that couldn't be it. That, that was, I needed. And yet that was it. <laughs> really was it. And it was. The big reveal was that her dad used to cheat when we've known him as a womanizer this entire film. And I assumed I, the whole time, I mean, I thought things were said, I thought we were supposed to know that already. So it just felt yeah, very. That's why it was like. Nothing came forth that was just like, oh, wow. Is this supposed to be but, a big reveal? Because we literally made fun of him for being a womanizer the whole time. And then again, I, no real feeling, no real, to me, visible portrayal of, of remorse. From that them. was exactly what I was going to say, is that he didn't have an arc at all. No arc. Except for kind of coming back into her life. But yeah. I think maybe the very end was supposed to be hinting at some sort of reconnection, yeah. being, more, being more present. But it's just, it's, it's a fine quarantine watch, but. Yeah, uh, rather unremarkable. I found myself yeah. kind of frustrated for the first part of it and as he's trying to catch the cheating husband and it's like, and since I'm sitting there being like, well, you're a cheater. I'm like, uh, not that there's some code where, oh, you should have, you know, but I know it's his, his daughter he's trying to protect, but it's this thing where I'm like, where do you get off going to be the knight in shining armor here? Like you're trash, Yeah, you know, but you did this <laughs> too. So it was it Dame, Damon Wayne's, I believe it was um, one of the Wayne's brothers. Marlon, I think it's Marlon Wayne's. Fun, fun to see. And he, and he was, I haven't seen him in a minute. And he was Real good. They were all, I mean, everything was fine, but it just, yeah, rather unremarkable. I'll probably forget about it pretty, pretty quickly. Very quickly. There was just, it, it, no emotional depth. And then the mystery was pretty obvious. So. Not mysterious. Yeah. yeah. I did think the cheating, like, are they cheating moments? It's interesting, Jackie, that you're like, no, obviously he's not cheating. I was like, oh, I think he's cheating. Because everything else was so flimsy that I was like, oh, this has to be the plot. And then no. it wasn't. And it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I just assumed it was a like, I don't know. I guess I just assumed that it was more about her. The story was supposed to be about her and working on her own self and all that stuff. So then that made me believe that he wasn't cheating. Yeah, I thought about it. And I was, like I said, I think I was going to be irritated if he was, because then it was just like, okay, so what's the point then? I'm almost more irritated that that is not what ended up happening because what happened instead was, I think it's just a, it's going to be forgettable. Speaking of forgettable, <laughs> Rebecca for me was in this, I, I watched, I watched On the Rocks a little bit before you two and I watched all, everything else this week and Rebecca, I was angry that I'd watched because I didn't expect a ton because I, I can't remember if I've said it here, but I don't like Army Hammer. I think he plays douchebag fine, but this wasn't that role. But I was like, okay, well, you know, it's supposed to be a good story. And it was like watching wet paper bags try and act at each other in terms of chemistry. And this is something that relies so much on chemistry. Did anyone like it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also believe it was pretty forgettable. And this is absolutely my wheelhouse. I am very into romances. I love a little sci-fi action. Not that it's sci-fi, but you know what I mean? Like the mystery action. thriller. Yeah. Mystery ghost action with a romance in it. All in, man. Those are usually my jam, especially like a period piece with the beautiful costumes. And I thought it was shot beautifully, but yeah, oh, it was fine. Yeah, I, I will say, yeah, very over, over long and a bit, this is one where I'm calling it a remake, even though I know it's not because it's all based on a book. So it's an adaptation and a second, another, not a second, there's been many, but another adaptation of, of this novel. But I think, you know, the Hitchcock version comes to mind. 
<laughs> always if I'm talking about Rebecca. And it's just something where I'm a massive Hitchcock guy. And I, I mean, I'm not going to sit there and say he's the greatest thing that's ever happened in the world. I know there's problematic things he's in his films as well. But I think that he was pretty masterful at suspense and, and story crafting in a lot of ways. And he did a fair amount of adaptations where he does take liberties. But it's in the way to kind of make it work better for film. And I almost feel like there were things from what I remember from the book there were things in this version that felt a little more accurate to the book, but it kind of comes to mind that, well, maybe you shouldn't be so... Literal in your translation. Yeah, I, I will <laughs> profess, I, I haven't read the book, but my understanding is that this this version of it took liberties with the ending. That's what I read. Because I I have read the book, but it was... However long ago. Well, like, I mean, I don't know. Long enough ago. That I don't remember, but... but I actually read a review that was basically like, this is completely inaccurate to the book in a lot of ways. It left out a lot of things and took a lot of liberties, so... But not in a good way. <laughs> I don't know if it's... I, I actually like Lily James quite a bit, but I thought that she was very flat in this, and I thought mm -hmm. that it... Her character just didn't, I didn't really care or get behind. Because I, I like, Mrs. Danvers is usually the character that I'm like, yeah, because she's psycho and like mean and I enjoy that. And um, I love a good villain, but she was just, I mean, she was my favorite of them, but that's a low, low bar. Yeah, she was my, she was the standout for me, but it, it also just took entirely too long for me to get to her. And then it was at that point, kind of short-lived. I, I would have, even though I get it. It's the I just wanted to see her manipulations a little bit more. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like we got a little bit of it, which was cool, but I wanted more, you know? I wanted her to be, like, really creeping her out with all the different stuff. And she wasn't really doing it, at least not to the degree that I wanted her to be doing it. Yeah, I could have used more of that. And, you know, I, the setup felt a little, you know, we want to see them fall in love and this and that, but it felt a little, a little over. Love story wasn't even that great. Like, No, it wasn't. And for me, it was very much, okay, well, if you're going to rely on their chemistry to reason as to why she is so invested in this and clinging to this situation. And yes, there's the socioeconomic, they talk about a lot where it's not a lot of other options for her. But her proclaimed motivation is loving him. And I'm like, why? Aside from that he's, you know, what the definition of classically good looking is. Right. Yeah, I think you could have cut out half of that love story and still had the same effect that we got right now. And I almost wish that he didn't seem so like, when she's like, I'm leaving. I wish that they had decided to get married before she was like leaving or whatever. Or at least he had spoken about wanting to hang out with her like, forever mm -hmm. you know what I mean something that didn't feel like oh, okay well I guess I have to marry you then right and, I, and it, it's really all something because I don't think that the, the script or the, anything really about it was particularly terrible it just needed stronger actors and it and possibly it could have flowed better I'm sure as well but they just the chemistry and like you said you weren't a fan of Army Hammer I like Army Hammer fine but I, I do believe that he is one of a slew of different men predominantly white in Hollywood that get by just because they're really, really attractive. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, we don't really need much from them, but their looks kind of thing. Not to be too harsh of a dig on him, but I just, I don't buy, really see him as someone who's a super, super strong actor in a lot of ways. Like he's done things I really liked. Call Me By Your Name is, I think I, I actually enjoy that film, but I would argue Timothy Stills the entire show and Army could have really been anybody. Mm -hmm. So it's that kind of thing where I think you do want someone who's kind of like that just devilishly handsome person in this role, but then the charm, but you need that acting skill. I just, it, was, it wasn't really there for me. And again, I really do like Lily, but maybe it was the chemistry problem, but I thought she was a little flat too and didn't really care about yeah. what was going to happen to either of them. And I, 
you know, we've seen several iterations of this. A couple of us have read the book. So it's at that point where, I mean, you know, we know exactly what's going to happen for the most part. So I we, didn't, I have, I've, I've also, I'm not gonna lie. I haven't seen the Hitchcock version. Oh, you hadn't. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well then, so yeah. And then it still didn't work for you in that mm-hmm. you didn't, it doesn't sound like you cared very much about what, what the answers were. And, and, and Hitchcock's, I, I would watch that any day and, you know, over this. And it's just, just found a way to, to make it more intriguing. And I, and, you know, we're talking about Army Hammer versus, you know, Laurence Olivier playing him in the original, which you're not gonna, you don't get much better than Laurence Olivier back in the day. So it's, it's something well, where- No, even now, I think, I think if you're going to adapt this now, you need to bring something new to it. Otherwise you're trying to outclass Alfred Hitchcock. You're not going to do it. You can't do it. It's, you know, it's, there are very few things. You're setting yourself up for failure for the start. I think the possibly only successful way to do it is to reframe it somehow. But if you're going to do this very antiquated story, you know, it's not very feminist friendly and you're not going to have any chemistry between your leads and you're going to try and outdo Hitchcock at the the thing that he is the best at, that's a recipe for failure. (laughs) It really is. I agree. And my, my first thought when it ended to that extent kind of similar. I, it wasn't exactly the same thoughts, but kind of similar to, I think, what I had said a few podcasts ago about the boys in the band, where if you want to go and make this, I almost thought, is there a way to do this and really modernize it? Mm-hmm. Make that interesting? Whether it's you're doing a more of a modern setting, which might not work quite as well with the story, or I don't know, maybe you do it and what if, what if it was... Uh, you know, women? What if it was a lesbian story? What if it was like, what, like just to kind of update it, or what if the roles were reversed? Or mm-hmm. like something that just kind of makes it fresh and something that is something that makes me want to watch this over watching the Hitchcock, the one that's already been done so well. And that's something that, again, I know it's not a remake, but something that so many remakes fail to do is you need to make me I mean, it, it is kind of a remake of the Hitchcock one because it's same era, not a shot for shot remake per se, but it's not, it's not attempting to, did anyone see the Michael Fassbender Jane Eyre? Yes. Yeah. So I like that movie. I don't know why. It's not the I best movie, but. That movie. I have a very intense love for that movie. So, so that, I, not having seen, not knowing the plot of Rebecca, I thought that's where it was going because they, yeah, me too. so many of the elements are similar. Mm-hmm. And, and like, obviously spoilers for Rebecca, but it's also a book that's been out since 1938 and a movie that's been out since not long after, right? (laughs) Um, But the way it was setting it up was, you know, there's the fire, there's the housekeeper. I was like, oh, is is she a ghost? (laughs) Yeah, well, no, I was like, oh, you know, it's coming out around Halloween is the reason they release it now because she's a ghost and it's actually supernatural. Or is this a, a truly, you know, Rebecca is not a metaphor, not even a metaphor, but, you know, she's actually a, a still in the house. And then the fact that there was like a, you know, a fire, all this stuff, I was like, is this just Jane Eyre? Right. Well, because I think they cut out so much, the problem, okay, from what I remember, and I haven't seen the Hitchcock one in a very long time, and I haven't read the book in a very long time, so please correct me, but... I believe, from what I remember, Mrs. Danvers screws with her a lot more and makes her feel like she's being haunted by the ghost. She does a lot of stuff that makes her think that she's actually being haunted by Rebecca. It feels more tangible to me in the other version. Yeah. like it, I mean, I'm going to go watch the Hitchcock version, but I think that would have been more interesting to me in playing up the our, our lack of knowledge as an audience member. Oh, is this truly, is she going crazy? Is, is there actually a ghost here? Is there whatever? Instead of just there's a sort of manipulative housekeeper. (laughs) Well, yeah, because that was supposed to be the twist was that like she's not actually going crazy or she's not being haunted. It was literally that this housekeeper was close to Rebecca. Yeah. And 
is like screwing with her to get her to leave. I thought that was a more interesting story than what we got. Yeah, and honestly, something that they do better in other versions and also in the book, of course. And again, we're talking about a book that is written in a way that it, the main character is, you're in her head. We're learning things as she's discovering them and things. Mm -hmm. And that moment, if I remember correctly, that moment uh, we're in the car where she sees the, the poetry book that, that Rebecca left to him or gave to him. Mm -hmm. In this one, he, he very strangely was, because he, he was giving me signs, this one, the, the entire film, beginning of this film, by the way, I'm just kind of like, I wouldn't go with this guy. But, but <laughs> whereas in other ones, he's a little more, I would go with him. But he was very, he's like, put that back, whatever. And, you know, which is fine. It's his private thing. But in the book, I know she takes it and reads it. And that's what starts making her kind of like, she has these insights to Rebecca, the person, and she is kind of trying to, solve this mystery if you will once she's there and it feels just more tangible it feels more like there this place is haunted by at least the memory of this woman and what really happened but yeah this just didn't have a moment for me where I found myself caring what what was going on and why he was walking and going back to what Jackie said earlier about on the rocks and I'm only applying it to this adaptation of Rebecca this movie could have been solved in one conversation where if he had said Oh, I hated her. I didn't love her. I'm not upset because she's dead. I'm rejoicing, but I am upset because, I, you know, all of these other things. One conversation would have solved every mystery in this movie. And I know that it is sort of more of a sign of the times of the source materials. The way they presented it and cut things out, it sounds like, it really undermined any sort of suspense or investment I had in it. Yeah, 100%. It really could have been because the plot is just not heavy enough. So it's something that really that's why a director like someone like Hitchcock can come in and do such a great job with it because he masters suspense and creates scenarios where you actually are like who even if what's going on and you look at the end and you could write in one paragraph everything that happened in the film he makes it in a way that makes it you're on pins and needles and that's just something that you have to be able to do with a story like this that's a quiet smaller type of inner head story type of thing and it just, yeah, it wasn't successful for me here. And I was, I was worried it was going to be kind of exactly what it was. And mm -hmm. it, it was. So we do not recommend it. I mean, if you have Netflix, it's free. Like if you, if you're remotely interested, go ahead. But I, I wouldn't seek it out if you're he looking. He liked costumes and sets. They were gorgeous. That's true. It was nice set design. and. But if you were given the choice between the Hitchcock version and this one, if Hitchcock. someone had access to both. Oh, watch I, I will never yeah. watch this again over the Hitchcock version ever. <laughs> I will never watch this again, period, <laughs> this version. Speaking of adaptations that at least I think were done poorly, also this week, The Witches. I'll be very, I was a huge Roald Dahl fan as a child. So I read everything mm -hmm. that he wrote. I have not reread them though. So uh, accuracy stuff, I'm not really sure about. I haven't seen the original movie in a very long time either because as a tiny child, I liked the book better. And so I found it really annoying that they bothered to make a movie incorrectly. I don't remember what was incorrect about it. I just know that tiny Jackie felt that way. Fair enough. Um, but this version felt so childish that it just wasn't, it wasn't meant for me. Like it was not a family movie. It was a kid's movie that makes sense. It does. I don't even feel it was a kid's movie because trying to put myself in the shoes of, let's say, a modern kid, I don't think I would have been entertained by this. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to, to say if I would have been or not. I do think Anne Hathaway 
everything was just so overdone. It was. I liked Roald Dahl as a kid quite a bit. Uh, fun fact, this book is actually my sister's, I think, favorite book ever. And <laughs> that I, doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> no, and it's great. And I, I, every time I see like a special edition of it, I think it was like a, an anniversary of 30th or something. I bought it for her like years ago and you know, that kind of thing. So uh, it's a, it's a, it's a cool, st- I like the story. I like, I like the characters. I like that kind of thing. And I, I, I went into it really open-minded. I, I think I love that original film. I think it's from 1990. I watched that on cycle, usually this October month, you know, I haven't watched it this year yet, but I, I watch it pretty annually uh, as part of one of my witch movies. And I, I, I just, this felt so, like you said it, Jackie, overdone. And it felt like a parody of that film. It mm. just felt very, Angelica Houston in that role to me is just, I mean, she's in every role, she's just, you know, but but I just feel like yeah. in that role of the, high, the the witch there, she's just so effortlessly like scary and cool and creepy. And Anne's portrayal felt like trying to recreate what she did rather than I just, I would rather you just did something different, totally different portrayal. And she did do some things here and there, but it, I sometimes I felt like I was watching an SNL skit where she was trying to be that role. And I got to tell you, CGI, it, it's, it's such a sore subject. I, this world we're living in right now where everyone just wants to do everything so CGI and it's it ends up actually costing a lot more money to do it properly than people think it's going to. So this honestly felt like such a slap in the face to Jim Henson to me. It, it really did. I swear, I'm, I haven't seen it in probably a year, but when I go back and rewatch that original one, I guarantee you, I think it's going to look better than this did. I, I really do. Because it looked terrible, and it was just... Uh, it's just, just being so cheesy. I just remember it being very scary as a kid, or at least suspenseful as a kid, and this one was just so cheesy, and so... Yeah, I would argue, I mean, I would say, I, I think the other one is cheesy as well, but yeah, this was a level of... It just, the dialogue wasn't great, but they kept the story largely intact and a lot of scenes that the way they filmed them, including the the infamous meeting scene, that was very, very close to what they did in the original one, just not nearly as good. And they tried, and the weird, like, let's split her mouth open instead of, I mean, do you remember the moment where Angelica Houston, like, removes her face in that film and, like, reveals this horrid witch, just like, and she's scary. Like, she, it's not like... I mean, for kids, I wasn't afraid of it because I was a weird kid that wasn't, but I but I remember feeling tense because her character was so unpredictable, but just, I, I was afraid of what she would do to anybody. That's what was supposed to be captured here. And Anne didn't, I didn't find her scary or, or erratic at all. I just found her weird. And there were a lot of little attempts at comedic beats and things like that. I will say, CGI aside, uh, I would really appreciate it if someone really made that snake dress. <laughs> I was into the snake dress. I was kind of like, I was contemplating some cosplay and then I realized I didn't like the film enough to do I feel like I can't do this. I did have that thought. I was like, oh, it's a bummer that this came out during the, the Halloween that wasn't because the, there would have been some very good snake dresses. There really could have been and there still can be ladies. Yeah, I, that's I, true. I, that's true. I think it, I thought that was really cool. Uh, but it, it looked silly, you know, when sometimes when the snake would be moving and stuff, but her like flying around in there and just, it just kept, a, it just felt so like, hey, let's take this scene and use these special effects to just really just like up the ante here and make it even crazier when really it wasn't in the actions and all the pizzazz or anything that made the original one feel that scary kind of suspense in it. It was what was being said and what was being done just really subtly. And not that there's anything subtle about how she looked as a witch when she was <laughs> in Houston, but I'm just saying it just, 
it, it tried and it didn't capture it. And I, I, every time I saw those CGI mice, I was just like, well, can we get our animatronics back? Well, can we just, talk about the decision to use Chris Rock as the, the older voice? He I mean, was narrating it and it just... I'd forgotten that it, the source material is, takes place in England. Like this is not a, a black story. In this, I did actually, I liked the idea of updating it. I, I enjoyed that part of it. Like I liked the voodoo part where she, you know, has some, or the grandma is a little more into it, but I, I didn't like, Chris Rock is not a good actor. He sounded like he was doing comedic voiceover. Just his, you know, his narration, he's just one note for me. Like you just hear that voice and all I think of is his stand-up, which I don't hate his stand-up. I just don't think it works in this particular context. He, he has a he has a time and a place. And I just, I didn't see it for this. And I, I think I liked the little, I guess the little moment at the end where we're seeing that the kids are going to go hunting witches now is kind of fun because, you know, we didn't really, like that, the idea of that is kind of fun. I did think it was strange though that the, the kid was so, so just like overly like happy and fine being a mouse. And I know that in the original, it's kind of that way too. But then that good witch who's kind of like stalking everybody the whole time, she goes back at the end and changes him back into a human. I thought so. Okay, thank you. Yeah. I was and, like, and so, because I, I, I literally like laughed out loud and I think like spit out some water when he's like, oh, I, I'll be a mouse, whatever, and, and you know, grow old, whatever. And she goes, oh, well, yeah, like a normal mouse only lives three years, but but a human mouse at least three times that much. And he's like, oh, great. And I'm like, dude, you're going to live to be like 18. And like, and you're just like, that's great. You know, like it just was, and they're just like, oh, okay, cool. This is fine. And I'm like, and grandma didn't feel too sad that she's lost her grandson and we're like, probably outlive him it just felt really weird and then at the end here we see him as like an old mouse and he's chris rock but i'm like this is probably like six years later this is <laughs> you know what i mean it was just weird oh, I spencer didn't look any older so yeah well he just well yeah he, he looked yeah he they did like i don't know he looked, like he looked old older man. but she didn't the scariest thing in that entire movie was old man mouse like that was the no, most disturbing thing to me i hate to break everyone's hearts but i'm looking up the synopsis of the novel he does not get changed back so he doesn't, yeah. Yeah. And that and that's something that I think I learned better about the movie, just because it unless in the novel it's I don't remember. I haven't read it in years, but unless it's it's kind of sad that he doesn't get changed back. But it just it's so it's always so weird to me in these kinds of movies. Like not to totally go out of left field here, but like something like Princess and the Frog for like let's say at the end, like because they've decided they're in love and okay, we'll stay frogs and that, whatever they'd prefer to be human. But this was just so like I'm I'll be a mouse, it's great. I don't have to drive, I don't have to do this and that. And it was just like but I know Roald Dahl is very famous for writing stories about mice. And so his mice did ride motorcycles and do things like that. So <laughs> apparently, actually, Roald Dahl was so upset at the ending of the 1990s one that he had his name removed from it. Wow. That, and this is, I need to check the citation on it, but that sounds right. Good for this one for doing that then. Cause I, I you know, that's, that was his point of the story. And that, then that's great. It's just, I don't love it. But did you stay through the credits a little bit? Not really. I don't know. Okay, so who do you think two of the producers were? Oh. I mean, I, I wondered if Anne Hathaway produced on it, but I- wasn't. She did not. I, I will give you a hint. The way the mouths moved in the movie. Oh. Oh, with like the, the like with, when her mouth would open or the way yes. the- Yes. Because okay. to me, I kept being like, wow, that's very similar to another thing that I've actually discussed being afraid of on this podcast from somebody who's very in the horror genre. Or like it, like Pennywise? Oh, Guillermo, is it Guillermo? It's okay. Guillermo. Oh. Guillermo del Toro was a producer and writer on this, and Alfonso Cuaron was a producer on this. 
Oh, I'm very disappointed. Oh, I'm so disappointed. I am also so disappointed because I remember when when Anne Hathaway first opened her mouth and did the kind of you know split lip thing. I was like, oh, that's kind of um, very very much like Pan's Labyrinth, which I've talked about. I, it was one of the few horror kind of more, more modern horror movies I've watched, even though it scared the bejesus out of me. And then I was like, oh, that's they wow, they really just took that from Pan's Labyrinth. And then the credits rolled, and I saw Guillermo del Toro, and I went, what wow. has happened here? Why has this been allowed to happen? Guillermo likes practical effects. And, you know, I will say, I went back on her Instagram and I couldn't find it. And I don't know where I saw what happened. Anne Hathaway, at some point before this film came out, posted a a picture of her smiling with her mouth open, like all the way like that. Like they did practical effects to do some of that. And I was like, oh, weird. And I couldn't find it afterward, but I saw her smile like that before the film and she was in a makeup seat. It was directed by Robert Zemeckis, who... It was Robert Zemeckis? Yeah, Yeah, which is its own up and down problem thing but uh who oh i saw God. that name and i was like oh dear but what she- a recipe for, su- for potential success here like, like, <laughs> <laughs> but he also is a fan of digital like, yes well we i mean he he was the person behind the number one example of what not to do with cg and motion capture and that is the polar express Yes. Like the textbook example of what you should not be doing. I always appreciate that he's trying to, he's trying to further film. Next to push the envelope and things, but I I would love to know what was done here that was never done before or something, because it just felt, it's a very strange. It looks like they all phoned it in then, because these are great directors and great storytellers, and this was not that. And so I, oh, and the uh, the third name I want to mention, or the fourth name, I guess, technically I want to mention is Kenya Barris from Blackish. Yeah is one of the other writers, which I think kind of influence, I would assume is the reason that we have set this in America and in the South. And that that I think was a slightly more successful adaptation. But sure. for me, yeah. it made me think, what if they had, what if Guillermo had directed this and we'd taken Zemeckis out of it and we'd not tried to make it any sort of family friendly because Roald Dahl's books are scary, if you actually think about it. They are scary books. And I think I read, I, re- I think I read them all as a kid, but I haven't read them since. But I remember actually Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. There's some sequence he describes with like aliens. And I just remember being so terrified by it. And so what if we'd let Guillermo run wild with this and had this been the super scary thing? Because the, the kid stuff didn't work for me at all. And yes, I'm not a kid anymore. And I, but I like to think I have some sort of childish, playful gauge on what might be entertaining and what might not for a younger audience. I was like, I think I'd be bored if I was. I mean, we all love some animated films. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, or some kids. Air quote kid films, right? But and it's a, it's a weird buy for HBO. To be honest, like not that they don't do their share of family friendly or kid things, but it's such all a those con- names. That's why they bought it. Robert yeah. Zemeckis. Yeah, if they bought it for the names, like. I guess, and- but it just, it, it, I still felt, when I went to watch it, I was like, wait, where is this again? And I was like looking around and I like checked a couple things. I checked Netflix and Hulu and all these things. And I was like, oh wait, it's on HBO. It just- You all look it too. Because when I tried my Apple TV, I was like, I want to watch Roald Dahl's Witches. It started the audiobook, And I was like, mm. <laughs> I mean, I think part of it is HBO. It's on HBO Max technically, right? Sure. HBO Max is- looking for their sort of originals and they have yet to find their footing there and so a big name project during spooky season is a relatively decent investment for them you know what i haven't seen though has anyone watched guillermo del toro's like trolls show on netflix i've watched i think half of the first season i didn't love it i didn't watch it yeah it was was fine it was guillermo Guillermo is not impenetrable in terms of his like his his career is not bulletproof he has made mistakes sometimes there are things and and said that I'm like, I live for, they, they fuel my life. And then there are other things that I'm like, I will never watch that again. And so he, it's very hit or miss with him, but he has a definite, you know, style and, and 
uh, dedication to what he's doing and I appreciate that as an artist but man it's funny because he's made some of my favorite films but he's also made things that I will never watch again wait what are the things you'll never watch again from him I don't like uh well I guess I would watch it what's the one that he won the Oscar for The Shape of Water I don't like that movie okay I didn't love it as much as I wanted to. I was really into that idea. I don't know if it's just like a disappointment thing where like- I wanted the whole movie. I wanted the first half of the film to be the entire film. Yeah, I was just, it just- I wanted it all to be about her deciding to break this creature out. I didn't Mm. want the October when they're living together and sleeping together and all that. I think this is like, I, you know, I'm into a romance, like really into a romance, but she's she's doing this whole fantasy thing in her head. Remember, she's like dancing and doing all this stuff. And then she comes back and he doesn't even, he's like, egg. You know, and I'm yeah. like, does he have the ability to give her pen? Like, is, is he, does he actually have consent? Like, is he a whole, like, because they did not build him to be actually intelligent. So I was just like disturbed by it more than I was like into it. I had not thought of it from that perspective of his ability, the monster's ability to give consent. <laughs> Welcome to my brain. I don't know. I, I appreciate, <laughs> this is why we talk about these things. It's different. <laughs> But I, I felt like she was just, you know, using this poor animal. And like, so for me, that's what I And it's like. great. I was glad that it turned out that I, she was a mer as well, mer person. So that was great. But until we get to that point, it was very just like, you are actually fornicating with. Uh, oh, I didn't interpret it as she turned out to be a mer person. I, I interpreted it as she like became or was converted to a mer person. Oh, I thought she was because she was all her dreams took place underwater and she was like and she just was um didn't she somehow ended up being up there and didn't understand that's why she was so weird and oh I thought it was wishful thinking and then she kind of gets her it's it's like a a fairy tale at the end of the day really like totally could be and I will say as a director I do find him pretty pretty strong across the board for the most part so I then it's something like that was like with a movie like that I I can get get really critical because I'm like oh well this this and that but I guess it's a lot of his projects that he produces that he puts Mm. his name that yeah, I do He's like it's mama and something to do with the the two was Devil's Backbone was his. Is that Devil's, Devil's Backbone's his, yeah. That's one of my and favorites of his. I love Kronos as well. Like I loved his his earlier films there. And but there's certain things he just puts his name on it. I mean the orphanages I love. That's one of my favorite horror films and he you know that or presented it or something but yeah he just he can be sometimes he can be a little hokey I will say I I quite enjoy the first Hellboy I did not love the second Hellboy and I think most people did but yeah I mean it, it just it's not that oh Guillermo's a new film it's for sure I'm gonna love it you know but that's, okay that's interesting I I think for me generally speaking I trust his taste but looking back at it, I'm like, maybe I shouldn't. And I will say in terms of directing, as I'm looking, I just looked up his producer credits and I think like technically like kind of a Jason Bloom, he is willing to just slap his name on stuff and be like, yeah, good luck. And, and I don't know if there's anything wrong with that necessarily, right? Because that might make the difference between a project getting funding and distribution and whatever. And maybe it's not their greatest project, but maybe it allows somebody who you know, has potential to flourish later to get another project. But it's almost misleading to view. It's like an incubator. They like to say from the the minds that brought you because he's a producer and then it's yeah. like you're getting a Guillermo film and you're not. Yeah, I think that's what it is, is I'm mistaking some of his producing credits for things, but it's just, so it, it does damage your brand in some ways, but at the same time, I actually really do appreciate that he's willing to give people chances and yeah. sort of put his name on things. And One of my favorite humans in that way, like, I mean, I don't remember if you guys were there. I think you probably were, but one of my favorite times seeing him at a Comic-Con 
he's up there and we just it was just a conversation with Guillermo and Hall H that took place after some things and he literally gave it was out a haunted mansion right but it was well, haunted, so haunted mansion was supposed to be happening but then you know but he gave out his email and was like yeah anyone who's looking to create something whatever he's like shoot me an email we should work together like and it, I mean of course everyone pulls out their phone you know but it was he's just such a cool down-to-earth just like artist and I, I love him he's being willing to do that I remember thinking god you're such a cool dude I didn't realize he must be aggressively in bed for lack of a better word with DreamWorks because I'm looking at his credits and he's executive producer on Megamind, Puss in Boots, Rise of the Guardians, Book of Life, which is not DreamWorks, Kung Fu Panda 3. <laughs> I remember I remember the Rise of the Guardians being a big thing for him. And then and then Troll Hunters, he was much more involved in and that is a DreamWorks production, technically speaking. But this makes me worry about Pinocchio, actually, because that is his next sort of big project and it's not to say that projects for streaming platforms are any better or worse than theatrical release ones, but I do get worried about almost the lack of creative oversight and the lack of constraints. You know, I think On the Rocks is a good example of one where she was probably allowed to do whatever she wanted and it didn't work out as well as it could have. And so the fact that he's doing Pin Pinocchio for Netflix and I doubt they're going to say no Guillermo del Toro, make these changes. Right. I think to that point, in this world where streaming services are trying to all compete in this, where, you know, I want to have the most original content here and there, and we're all you make yourselves the most, the one we need the most type of thing, right? They're all competing for that. It does feel a, in a way that there's a little bit of a lower standard they might hold things to, mm -hmm. meaning that they just want it because the names, rather than not saying you know, <laughs> that these films wouldn't be coming out in theaters and also be trash, but it's something that- No, I think we talked about this before. Might be a little more, hey, we want to be a little more, be a little pickier about what we're what we're bringing on here versus Netflix is just like, oh great, Guillermo's involved with Take It. And well, but I also think that it does come to a point where you get popular enough that you stop listening or people stop questioning mm -hmm. your right so and it happens in basically every storytelling genre that I've ever experienced eventually the person you know books comic books all, eventually they stop getting edited as much yeah, as they should. anymore yeah it could be happening with Guillermo I guess I um, hope you're not talking about Tim Burton well, I'm not because I, I will absolutely call Tim Burton out at that I will call yeah, I'll call plenty of people out. Yeah, I know, I know. I read the news that he was that he was going to be doing potentially, I guess, like a, a TV version of The Addams Family or something like that. And it was just like, in other, like, of course he is. Like, what else is he going to do? Like, that's, <laughs> what else? <laughs> he, anything he does now has to be that. Like, he just, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think it's- I'm not saying that we won't ever enjoy things that they do again. It's just that they, because they have less oversight, that it might not be sure. quite as great. It's just interesting as we move into the future here with these streamers and, and the different, as we see the change here and especially with the, our current climate with movie theaters, things like that, how many things are going to be moving to streaming and how the quality might be affected. Maybe, maybe when streaming becomes more of the, the paramount way that we're kind of consuming these things, maybe it'll, there'll be a bigger calling for the quality to, to up a little bit. Not to say that there's not great quality streaming stuff. I just mean that what we're talking about, the oversight feels a little bit less. I don't know why he, why is he doing Pinocchio? That story is just He's been talking about doing that for years. And I for first when he was uh saying he was doing it, 
I thought he was going to be doing it for Disney, but it turns out it's not because I know Disney is also working on a live action Pinocchio. Although I don't know that that Guillermo's is live action. It might be animated. Guillermo's is animated. You yeah. want to know who's working on the live action one? I just, I know Tom Hanks maybe is Geppetto. I heard Robert that. Zemeckis. <laughs> so they're going to go and be competing now. And, and... Head to head. Head to head. <laughs> And this is like a Jungle Book situation. Where, where yeah, pretty much. But it's so strange that they are collaborators directly on a project that's pretty much their previous one to it. And I the think they'll probably worry about Pinocchio. Now you're worried about both Pinocchios. <laughs> yeah, now I'm very worried about both Pinocchios. I, but, but my thing is like the live action Disney's. I generally am not a fan of. Like I, well, they're only doing it. You know, they're doing it only for copyright reasons, right? They that's have to... true. Yes. So, sure. so that's, that makes sense to me. But you can't copyright, I believe the character Pinocchio is not under copyright, which is why Guillermo can do. Yeah, he's old enough now, but I think. The songs probably, or. Probably, and Disney Something along those lines. And yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be an interesting one. It is. I'm, I'm very curious because Pinocchio, I, it's one of my favorite classic Disney films, but I, I love this. I just, I'm really into the story and I like the darkness of it all. And I'm, I'm very curious to see that. Uh, a director who's kind of more notorious for the darker side of things is doing the animated version, and a and a director who has done animated or you know mocap movies before is doing a live action, even though he does tons of live action. But it's interesting. Do you like AI? I've never talked to you about yes. that. Yes, I, I I do. I, I don't like certain things about AI, but I did. I was pleasantly surprised that it was a Pinocchio story when I didn't realize that going into it. Yeah, but I didn't either. Not but my I, favorite thing of all time, but I, I've not my favorite. I, I don't like the Spielberg ending to it, I guess. But uh, yeah, it's, it really kind of takes a nose dive, but the first like 45 minutes of it, I'm like all in. <laughs> so it's like that kind of thing. I think that is what we're going to end up happening with these two versions of Pinocchio. And I, to bring it back a little bit to The Witches, I was interested in what a Guillermo-esque version would have been like. I think that could have been really great and scary. And I got this feeling that they were trying to keep it kid-friendly and that's what Zemeckis is sort of presence was. So now that we have two people, that they're both working on separate projects of the same thing, we might get to see that sort of, well, this would have been his version of it and this would have been his version of it. To that point, you know what's interesting? Both The Witches and Pinocchio, you know who I would have liked studio-wise at least to see do is actually Laika. Oh. I think that they could have given really cool treatment to both of those stories. And I don't know who would direct and what, but I just, the style and that you look at the way they do their, you know, it, I just think The Witches could have been super cool. I, we, did we need a live action? It could have been a super cool kind of animated. Kind of I think it comes back to wanting practicality. And I think Laika, even in their, because a lot of their stuff is actually fully CG. I think people don't always know that or remember it, but, but they put so much textural detail detail into things that I think they do such a good job. And, and I would say the same goes for Aardman, who are the other sort of, they are the truly the pioneers of stop motion animation. But that the fact that things had to be built by hand and that that is sort of the hallmark of that quality, that was definitely missing from the witches for me. Everything felt very, let's get it done fast. Let's, we'll rely on the sort of smoke and mirrors of the, the computer effects to to mask the fact that there's not a good, that we, we didn't, we did, somehow we did this wrong. <laughs> Yeah, not a lot of great stuff going on. And yeah, no, no, no. I thought I, to kind of leave it on the end, I'll go back to Hathaway a little bit. I, I thought with the design of things, as much as some of it was puzzling to me, with the mouth and the tongue and then the way the hands were and the weird feet. I know they don't have toes, but then she had her random toes in the middle of it. I thought it was interesting that they're turning these these children into mice and they kind of modeled all of her weird things after snakes and birds, which are like two of the biggest predators of mm. mice probably. I kind of appreciated that little attention to that, that thought Mm -hmm. I appreciated the execution would have been appreciated. I also didn't appreciate her accent that it kept 
dipping uh, out. It started as like a Russian Bond villain, and then she tried to do sort of, sort of Nordic stuff. Yes, I love her, but it, I will say, and I have a good friend of mine who's very, very, very in tune to like when people's accents aren't correct, and I don't always notice it. Uh, she is not always the greatest at accents. When has she ever been good at accents? I guess I don't know, but <laughs> so probably not. And, and same to- same goes to Army <laughs> Hammer and his British accent from Rebecca. I was just like, nope. Yeah, no, I was trying to be delicate, but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's rough. rough. That's what time. I'm here for, to not be delicate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rough times. I don't know. If you're remotely interested, it's again, if you're subscribed to HBO, I wouldn't go get HBO to watch it, but uh, you could check it out. But relatively oh, hard, I wouldn't watch I, it. I don't want kids to, or adults to watch this. I spare, spare them. <laughs> I don't want anyone to watch it. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't want anyone to watch it. It's not good. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'd vote skip it if you, yeah. you know, unless you're really, really, really bored. <laughs> so even that, even then, I would say maybe seek out the 1990 version. Yeah, yeah, go watch that if you haven't seen that in years. Because I tell you, it's a staple from everyone. It's it's just fun. It's cheesy, but it's fun. And yeah, it's this scary. was this was not cheesy or fun. <laughs> just, it just yeah. was. Yeah. All right, our last film this week, Borat subsequent movie film. Also not cheesy or fun. This is, I think, where we will all differ in opinion. (laughs) Probably. I'm very curious. I'm sure Jackie Mox loved it. Yeah, Jackie, we had to convince to at least be willing to watch part of, or give it a try. Yeah, um, I, I think I only watched like 20 minutes, I think. It was exactly what I expected it to be, honestly. And I wasn't like overly embarrassed or anything like that. I just did, I was not amused or laughing or remotely interested in the first 20 minutes. And so I just decided I'd rather do something else. So I did. And yet you sat through the witches and (laughs) Rebecca. No, I just don't, I just don't like that. I don't like that kind of ignorant humor. I just don't find it very, I don't like it. Matt, you made it through the whole thing. Yes, I, uh, I, you know, so I, I enjoyed the, the, first, the first one a lot when I saw it in the theater. I thought it was really funny. Have not seen it since, which I believe we talked about. You have not either, I believe, right, Dana? Yeah. And probably for good reason, we don't, you know, but I, I will say I, I was entertained by it. I, of, the, of the films we watched this week, it held my interest the most throughout because I, I did find lots of it funny. I think Sasha Baron Cohen, this is where he kind of, I know he would, I know he is a a good actor and wants to be kind of taken as a serious actor too in other roles, but this is kind of the kind of thing that I think he is the best at is Mm -hmm. this kind of, you know, idiotic, funny thing. I thought it, for a movie that absolutely did not need a sequel, I thought that they, they found a way to, to make it this kind of really timely thing that made me think like, wow, you really, if you wanted to, you really could make a new Borat film for every year, a couple of few years, five years, if you really <laughs> wanted to just about the current events and making fun of the state of the world, like you really could. I found it got to a point, I didn't, I wasn't like in love with the introduction of the daughter character and how much she took on so much, like mm-hmm. went away from him so much to her. And it felt like it tried a little harder to be more serious than the original one did in that, at the end anyway, in that it, he came around and was no longer, and was kind of trying to become a feminist himself, which I appreciate, but part of the humor is that he is the exact ignorance that's absolutely what's wrong with the world. So it's like to redeem him in a way, it almost felt kind of like a little bit of a stretch to me where I'm like, oh, just leave him, you know? But, and then the, <laughs> the whole them causing the coronavirus type of thing that's going on. It made it very timely, but it was just, it was, it was a little, it went far. It went, it went in. I'm very curious what you thought. So I, 
I think I can't remember if I've talked about it on the past, but, but I, I love the first Borat film, but I know that it is a moment in time and that if I go back and watch it, it will be so politically incorrect for now that I, it will probably ruin my love of it. So I, do, I will not watch it again. And I was worried about it for this one. And I thought this one, I thought it was so funny. And again, I think I will only be able to watch it for this moment in time. And it will only, it also because it's just dealing with such painful current political things that I'm like, I want to just forget this era. It was fresh. Yeah, it was, it was, I think also they must have made it in six months, like three months in the last however many, because it does cover the pandemic. It covers a lot of like recent events. I thought it matured well. Like I thought the inclusion of the daughter and having him have some sort of character arc and coming to some sort of modern day enlightenment was necessary for us to be able to watch it in 2020. Because if it had been the exact same Borat, I wouldn't have been able to watch it because sure. I would have been like, this is too crude and too whatever. And this, this is it's a one trick pony as opposed to being like, oh, he has figured out how to make fun of the things that we are making fun of today. Yeah, no, that's a very good, it's a very good point just in that it was a very, we had, we had our share of problems for sure, but it was a very different political climate back then. Mm-hmm. And the problems were still big and well, you know, we've always had huge problems, <laughs> but there were things that we're laughing at in this. And I, and it was, it's honestly miraculous that he was able to find a way to make things funny that are so sensitive right now. And that's yes. genius, right? I agree with that. And I could see that perspective that it's having him kind of come around by the end it leaves you feeling a little lighter rather than it might have just ended and just felt really like, oh, we're doomed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if it's because it is such heavy stuff that we're going through right now. And and I so I could see that perspective for sure. It just felt a little forced to me, if you will, to kind of like give this character kind of an actual more of an arc and a narrative than and I could be misremembering the original one. I don't I kind of remember it just being a big I know it had an arc, but I remember it feeling just like a bunch of different SNL skits starring Borat. It was, but I think the thing I remember from the first one is there is a flimsy plot about trying to find a wife. And I think it's like Pamela Anderson shows up at one point, but there, there was a plot that was just sort of there. And I feel like this one actually is slightly more plot driven. Right. And that was the, that's exactly it where I was like, that one was, I remember that plot, but it was so flimsy that it was just an excuse to just kind of string together. It felt like a sketch show. Yeah. This had that still, but it kind of started feeling more like, yeah, it was, there was a story from start to finish and it felt like they felt he need to have an arc more than before but to your point that might be something that's totally necessary for our, our current time to kind of make it make it work for us and and I, I wasn't mad about it at all it just was kind of a you know an observation but I think also though from literally a production standpoint Borat is a recognizable character now and so they had to have some sort of device to get some of these other interviews moments etc right because otherwise they they address it early in the film right it's people running down the street being like I you know like my life that, that sort of stuff and I was shocked that they were able to get any footage of anyone who was at least able to keep a straight face. Or my other thought was, oh, maybe they don't know that it's a character. Right. Like, well, he was under a different disguise for a lot of it, too. Or he for- was, he was. But there are, there are plenty of places that he goes where he's, oh, we did go to that Halloween store we like. Yeah, that was, yeah. I mean, that was great. And I was just like, how did the guy literally not? No, it's too funny. And it, and by the end of it, with, the, with his flashbacks and kind of seeing everything and realizing that he spread the virus all around the world, uh, I was laughing at that, and I, I thought it was hilarious that that Tom Hanks agreed to do it. And yeah, <laughs> up here, real quick. Sorry, spo- spoiler, Jackie, who oh, was not going to watch the movie. Yeah, yeah. I know. But, yeah, it shows him when when he realizes that he. But I don't know how far he got, Jackie. When he gets injected and and goes, that was the virus, and it was they were actually sending him to spread this virus around the world. Oh. Um... So, 
and then just to get back at the world for laughing at them yeah. and it shows him in Australia and he's like in front of this terrible green screen he's with Tom Hanks and he like sneezes or coughs on him and Tom Hanks is like and but since Tom Hanks <laughs> yes, yeah, and thankfully survived yeah it, that kind of stuff it made me laugh I was just like it, it made me laugh I appreciated and also didn't appreciate watching him dance with a mask around his junk and that's all he was wearing <laughs> it's like it made me laugh but I was like can you just please but it but it was more of that kind of it, that was was hilarious about the first one. That's that weird. Was it like neon green that he was the, the man, the man thong, and, like yeah, full on the mankini thong? Yeah. That whole thing is just funny, and it's something that is so to me. It's just so Sasha Baron Cohen. It's like I, only he could ever do this, and that's I think. While I was okay with the daughter being a part of it, I was like, please don't try to set this up to be some passing of the torch kind of thing or buddy thing forever. Because if they if they did more, which they don't need to, but I was like, this is him, and no one could ever do this like this and make it. Yeah, I, I didn't feel like it was a passing of the torch. I felt like it was a, we need to figure out how to do something new. We need a device to be able to film some of these things. Right. And and I did like that it had, you know, a female right. character who, who did ultimately was a strong female character. As ridiculous as that is to say about a Borat movie, she had agency, she was a driving force. You know, it was, it was, a, it was a clever thing. The other thing I had to give kudos to is that the actress, um, God, what's her name? Maria uh, Bakalova. Yes. I don't know what she's speaking. I love that he is speaking Hebrew. Like he's oh, basically yeah. speaking Hebrew and like there's some like Polish scattered in there. I'm like, what is she speaking? I think she's Hungarian. And how are they able to improvise together? Because there are moments that you have to know that they are, they can't, there's nobody feeding them lines. There's no whatever. Also some of the joke setups. I'm like, the fact that you figured that out and knew that these people would play into the punchline. Like there's, there's one that I think the clip is all over the place where she's not supposed to have sweets and then he like gets his daughter a cupcake and it has like a baby on top like a plastic baby and she swallows the baby and then they go to a women's healthcare place because there's a baby stuck in her and they want to get the baby out and it's actually like a southern minister and he keeps right. really, but you know borat's her father and saying like no i put the baby in her she's not supposed to, you know how do we get it out and i was like that's so smart how did they, of course this guy's going to play into it. And of course, but the fact that he's like, nope, doesn't matter how it got there. We can't take the baby out because God wants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. I give her a baby. You know, I'm her dad. Oh my God. I thought um, it was hilarious when she was with a woman and she's like, no, the women cannot drive. It is impossible. <laughs> You're just a man in disguise. <laughs> yeah, but there were, I laughed thoroughly laughed throughout it. I enjoyed it. And I was like, okay, good. Like of the things we watched this week, it certainly was the the, the one I would recommend. Yeah. You know, like it's funny and it, it's very, like you said, timely. I love that while it's this humorous thing, Sasha Baron Cohen is such a smart guy and there's a point to everything. Of course, mm -hmm. it's all politically driven and there's a point to it all. And at the end, it's a call to vote. And it's just like, go out, it's like, go vote or else you will be executed, right? Yeah. <laughs> but actually, yeah, vote, you know? And so I, I like that it, it had purpose. The most horrifying thing about this movie, so I watched a, a screener of it and then it came out and then my, I saw the first Borat movie with my dad, which is uncomfortable on its own. But we both, I think we have like a very similar sense of humor. I think I got a lot of mine from him in terms of like movies. He yeah. doesn't actually have a sense of humor in real life. So I don't understand how, but he <laughs> likes that kind of frat boy. Funny, things are funny. <laughs> yeah, it's so bizarre. But like Animal House is his, one of his favorite films. And he, okay. I, I remember, at one point they rented, like when it came out, you know, when, when one rented movies from the, he rented It's Something About Mary. And I just remember hearing him screaming, laughing. He has this like howling laugh when he thinks something super funny. And then later I saw the movie and unfortunately I know exactly what scene he was laughing at. And I was like, well, glad I didn't see that one with you. Oh, the, oh, the, yeah, the, the, yeah. the ear come. Um, <laughs> yeah. But 
I saw, I remember seeing the original Borat with him. I not funny at all. I just am deeply I didn't think that was as funny as he did, but I knew, I just, I knew having known him, I was like, oh, that's what my dad was laughing so hard at. Yeah. So we, we saw Borat and then I was like, I don't think I can watch this with my parents because now I'm old enough to get into R-rated movies on my own. Also, this was now just seen from the comfort of our home. Right. My mom refused to put on her glasses for this. And she is not the type who I think normally enjoys this type of movie. But that being said, she loves Ted, the film. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, growing up, she hated us swearing. She hated all that stuff. So I'm like, how do you like Ted? And she likes Deadpool. So that is so funny. <laughs> taste change, I guess. But she she didn't have her glasses on for watching Borat. And there's a lot of it is subtitled. And so my dad was reading it out loud to her. And I'm sitting, I was sitting in the kitchen, which is connected to the living room. And I'm hearing my dad just sort of monotone read out the <laughs> subtitles <laughs> of Borat too. And I was like, I think I want to crawl into a hole and die. Right I was like, I, just, I would have gotten my phone right out and recorded that. Like, <laughs> I was like, this is, there was I didn't think it was possible to make watching this movie more uncomfortable. And then my parents found a way to secondhand make it that uncomfortable. That is hysterical. And I love, I would love to talk to your mom about these films because we have different tastes in comedy, I think. Cause I said, <laughs> and I, I like Deadpool the film, but I don't, I find Wade a kind of annoying a character in general, even in the comics, I think. But, but that kind of humor is not necessarily mine. Your dad, I do find uh, something about Mary funny, but I was gonna say it's funny because I think our parents' generation Parents loved that movie. And I remember, cause I knew my mom wasn't into it, but I remember people's parents loving that film. And I think it was kind of like the birth of the really raunchy comedy. And they were yeah. of and where the ages they were at at that time, where we were technically too young for it. Uh, they, it was for them. And, they, and so they, you know, and I think it's funny and I, I you know, I, I do love it, but I totally get when people don't cause it's something else but that's funny I, I love that their parents have that kind of humor where your dad but that's the thing that my mom surprised me the most and they were both howling laughing during this entire thing and I knew my dad would I, that that I was expecting but the fact that my mom was laughing I think the political stuff is really what got her right. and and I think it's successful if it can, if you can get my mom to laugh like that you know that I was like okay this has something for especially in the seriousness of what's going on right now and how doom and gloom and anxious we all feel all the time about everything going on if it can make you laugh about it, it's that's successful. And that's kind of goes back to, I mentioned SNL before, but like the most successful SNL times and things that happen are when they're really making fun of the current events and make, finding a way to make you laugh about them that you wouldn't, you know, yeah. that's, it's, it's kind of channeling the best of what they- I mean, it's a relief, like. right? Like that is the phrase of com comic relief is a phrase for a reason, but- but I also, I think Jackie, you're, you're not finding it entertaining is also very valid, right? Because I do feel like it's a very, if you want to watch it, if you're going to enjoy it, you have to be like willing to like it and you know very quickly whether or not you're going to like it. It's a very sort of like decisive, strong flavor film and watching the first 20 minutes, you're not going to suddenly like it in the net, like the second half, right? It's not one of those movies. No. Neither was the first, and it's very accurate. I, I've seen the first one, and or did I see the? I don't even think I did. I see the whole thing. I don't even remember. But it's not my thing. It's okay. I don't yeah. mind. Yeah, no, it's yeah, me. it's not for everybody. It's a very pointed type of comedy, and it's not mm -hmm. going to be for everybody. And 
there's something to be said about committing to it like he does. And it's just, it's, you're going to love it. Or you're going to kind of, I appreciate him for what he does. Like, I think he does have very smart humor. You know, I used to, when I was younger, I used to call it stupid humor and that's why I didn't like it, but it is actually intelligent. It does take a lot of effort and a lot of intelligence to do. Mm-hmm. I just personally don't generally find this type. It's funny. I struggle with the Ali G character, I think the most. Yeah. Cause he has, he has Ali G, he has Bruno and then he has Borat of his sort of widely known. And I remember there was the Bruno movie and that one I was disappointed by, yeah, but like, disappointing too, but. but like the Ali G show was certainly, certainly a thing I watched a lot of and found some of it. I, I think that that character for me, I was a little more like less enamored of it, but I think it's also a lot of it was like more pointed at British things. So I didn't have a, a sort of sense of knowledge of what they were making fun of. And I think for me, it may, may have come off more as quote stupid humor because I didn't understand. And I think the difference between me watching Borat in 2006 and me watching Borat now is I understand almost everything that they are pointing at now. Totally. I agree with that. I, I felt more completely aware and kind of following and understanding all of the humor more in this, even more so than I did the first one, probably. I just, the first one was just funny because he was saying outrageous things. And yeah. I, know it was, I know it was meaningful and politically pointed, but I wasn't as, as a person, I mean, I, you know, I was, I was an adult, but I also wasn't as involved in my mind politically and all these things as I am now, you know, so I'm hyper aware of things politically. Uh, you know, I had opinions and things, but, you know, now it's kind of like you were thrust into this way of, I'm glad we, we all know a lot about what's going on, but it's almost like we don't have a choice anymore yeah. <laughs> where you're kind of, things are thrust upon you. So I'm painfully aware of the things that are going on. So it, it made it kind of more of a enriching experience, if you will. I'm like, do you want to keep saying the word thrust in, in reference to I also, this is terrible. I, it took three minutes for a dick to appear on screen. Like, I, I literally, can't, I like paused. I was like, 2.45. <laughs> okay. All right. That's where we, we haven't dropped that part of these movies. No, no we have not. It, it felt very consistent. And, and uh, it was <laughs> it was accurate to, to the source material or the original. <laughs> in that yes, way. yeah. All right. Well, thank you both for slogging through these this week. I feel like it might have been a slightly tougher week for various reasons for us, but yeah. we at least have Mandalorian to look forward to. Mandalorian's coming on up. So. Honestly, I was looking forward to all of them. So. I, well, that's what I think I was like the most disappointing, right? Because we thought we had a really good week in store and then- uh, no, This week was either going to be the best of the year or it was going to be just not great and it wasn't great. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so as I said up front, there are a couple things that were a little bit confusing to us that I had to go back and look up. The first of which is the Rebecca differences between the 2020 version and the Alfred Hitchcock version and then the book version. And this is going to be a broad overview because we don't want to go too much into it. But in the 1940 version, which, by the way, was the Academy Award winner that year for Best Picture. So again, I can't reiterate enough. Why would you try and remake this? But in terms of plot, one of the huge differences between the Hitchcock version and the novel is that Maxim, the main man character, doesn't actually kill Rebecca in the Hitchcock version. And according to an article I read, it's because the Hayes Code, uh, which existed at the time, which was sort of the moral guidelines that basically governed production, would not let you depict violence in a good way. I don't know how 
that would be a positive way, but either way, Hitchcock had to skirt around the issue, and so his maxim doesn't kill the version of Rebecca, so that actually differs from the novel. The Netflix version embraces that plot point. However, the Netflix version, it's, it rounds a bunch of the edges. The relationship between Maxim and the new Mrs. De Winter, Lily James, is a lot softer. Maxim gets arrested in the Netflix version, which does not happen in the novel, which, you know, I think the way they present the timeline in terms of blackmail and the sort of supposed pregnancy and the murder stuff is very confusing and I think it sounds like it's out of sequence with how the novel took place and adding in this whole concept of him getting arrested and it being under duress didn't help this story at all. The original story also does not follow up with Mrs. Danvers in the Netflix version. She drowns herself at the end, but this is not anything, this is this is their interpretation of what might have happened after the plot of the novel ended. And then there are a handful of other changes that are different per adaptation, but I think those are sort of the pivotal plot points that differ from the cinematic interpretations versus the novel. And then to clarify on The Witches, for the 1990 version, Roald Dahl was actually presented with two versions of the finale. One is the current version that's in the, the film, the final cut of the film, where where the kid gets turned back from a mouse into a kid by a good witch, and then the original one with the source material where the kid decides to stay a mouse forever and because he doesn't want to outlive his grandma, which is a whole complicated thing. But the happy ending tested better with audiences, and so that is the one that the studio and the director went with, and Roald Dahl threatened to take his name off the film. I was incorrect. He actually left his name on the film. Apparently, according to legend, Jim Henson is the one who convinced him to leave his name on it, but he definitely was not a fan of the finished product. It sounds like he actually wasn't a fan of many of the cinematic interpretations of his work. So that's our episode of We're Watching What. Thank you to Matt and Jackie for joining again. Thank you to you for listening. If, if you enjoyed the episode, we would love it if you could leave us a review or a rating or would even consider subscribing.